Oh, hello. Hello. And welcome to the New York Mystery Machine. Having a hole, but for the ghosts. But for all the ghosts. Christina, you are wearing the best clothes I know today. I am. And by the best clothes, I mean you're wearing one of our favorite t shirts, The Veiled, Veiled Murderess. It's a, dis- take a photo later. It's a Disappeared People's Tour 2023. Mm-hmm. You can buy that t shirt and all of our other t shirts. You can do that right now. And guess what? If you purchase t-shirts right now, as in the day that this comes out, you can head over and get a 20% off discount. That's right. The company, you guys know, I've said it a bunch of times, the company that we sell our t-shirts through below the collar, they are closing in January. But right now, they are doing a going out of business Black Friday sale that starts November 17th at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard, which is literally when we're recording this episode, (laughs) (laughs) and goes all the way to November 27th, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Everything on our website, all of our t-shirts, the logo t-shirt, the pride t-shirt, the veiled murder rest t-shirt, the list, all the t-shirts, the Tedward tribute, they're all on sale using the promo code BF2023. You get 20% off. Buy your shirts. Buy them for your friends and your family for Christmas to make great stocking stuffers. <laughs> we're currently working on our new home for t-shirts. We have some oppor- some some possibilities that we're working on and also you know, being able to sell stickers in conjunction. We have new stickers coming in the mail. Very soon, they're they've, they're made. They're someplace in the world. I haven't checked the 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 post office thing, but they're I know en route. I know they're on route. I got an email saying they're on their way to me, and they kind of should be here right now. So maybe they'll be coming today. Um, but that'll be in January. There'll be a new home for T-shirts. But for now, you can get your T-shirts at belowthecollar.com/slash NY Mystery Machine. Use the code BF twenty twenty three and get twenty percent off all T-shirts. How exciting. I think it's very exciting. But I love that Veil Minerist t-shirt. Same. I gotta get a good picture of it so that yeah. we can promote it on the pod. I mean, not the pod, it. the Instagram. This All is the, the pod. Yeah. Well, yes, and, everywhere. And for those of you who have bought t-shirts, please send us your, your images of you. In, we want to see you in the wild. Yeah. Them. Like, please send us so we can share them. And don't, you know what, you could just tag us and yeah. on the story or whatnot, and we'll uh, send it. So thank you for purchasing our t-shirts. Be sure to do that. If you'd like to help out the pod another way, um, we love our patrons. We do. So, hey, patrons. Um, you join the pod. You go to patreon.com slash Machine for as little as $3. You join our Patreon for as little as 5 You get a bonus episode every month. There's a new bonus episode, patron exclusive, coming out this week. Um, and then there's a fun, we thought of the most stupid, <laughs> stupid, <laughs> stupid December patron exclusive. Uh, it's I so dumb. I'm not going to say what it is, but I will... We'll, we'll give you guys like a, a, a sneak peek of it next month as well as an incentive to join the patron or to never join the patron. It'll be a real litmus test. Um, so that's coming down the pipe next uh, next month. And um, yeah. we're going to very quickly learn who is here for what reasons, who is here because they, for whatever odd reason, just like us yeah. and who's here for the stories because... Uh, this this patron yeah. idea is, and I've be been bad. looking up back to the t-shirts for a quick second. I've been looking up t-shirt companies, and one company I found that I can also do promos, which is really nice. Mm. So it's something I've been wanting to That's do for a nice. while, being able to give coupon codes. Um, um, 
ideally I'd like to offer our patrons uh, a special coupon code to, yeah. to purchase t-shirts. And so I think I'll be able to do that. So we're working on it, kids. But for now, head on over to belovethecollar.com slash machine. Purchase your New York Mystery Machine merchandise. The best new t-shirts coming out come oh, the new year. The stickers coming out before that, but the t-shirts coming out in the new year. Everyone's going to want Adam it. outdid themselves with this. I really, I have the sample on my, it's literally sitting in my rocking chair right now. And we were fawning over it this, this morning. Um, and that's it. So, Christina, where are we? Today we are in New York City. New York City. <laughs> Particularly. I just watched that episode. Did you really? Last night. Two nights ago, the the one where they're doing Go Flip Yourself. Uh-huh. Because you are the most devious vampire in all New York City. Um, and very specifically, we will be in Manhattan and a little bit in Queens. We love Manhattan. Queens, no. You know what? You know what? <laughs> so our story takes place in 1897, but I'd like to start us off with this fabulous quote from a 1934 Vanity Fair article that looked back at the case. Adam, will you do the honors? Certainly. From Vanity Fair, you say? From Vanity Fair. So I should be... uh, Vain and fair. (laughs) Did you know? It's time for me to to, to air some gripes on the air. Okay. Our good friend, friend of the show, wonderful human being, Sam was in Mm. town last week. And I did a Nandor the Relentless impression that yeah. she thought was wonderful. Mm-hmm. And she's like, that's really good. And then I, I can't wait to, I can't, Sam is listening to this right now, but I can't believe they're talking about it, but I am. She had the audacity to say, I quote, you don't do other accents that well, but this one's really good. And I was like, and she's like, when you do the old Southern gentleman, it really, it really gets under my skin. <laughs> So, do you guys agree that my accents and my impressions are bad? I'm going to put a poll on the socials. Oh, boy. You're asking for it, Adam. this is just, I, Sam, out, how dare you? How very dare. I was just like, I know they're not all good, but some of them are good. Anyway, I hate to put her on blast, as the kids say. However, here we are. Anyway, here's Wonderwall. <laughs> there was a man who had a duck, a white duck. He lived in Woodside, that not over fashionable suburb of New York on Long Island. Rude, just remember this is 1897. It's very fashionable now. And so accurate. Um, this voice is, it's, 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 just like, it's, a, it's a bad Casey Kasem. <laughs> I'll admit this one's a bad Casey Kasem, but I'll stick to it. <laughs> Commit. One summer evening, it was around the 4th of July in 1897, the duck came tottering home in a condition which amazed her owner and made him rub his eyes. Could this be the sunset glow, or had it something to do with the approach of Independence Day? For the ordinarily white and stainless breast of Julia, his well-behaved duck was crimson, incarnadined, red with blood. The man examined her, clo- the man examined her closely. There was no mistake. Although the summer night he pondered until a thought came to him, in the morning when he liberated Julia to her diversions, he followed her on a tiptoe. In a few moments, she was quacking merrily as she entered a small pond, and a mystery had been solved, a mystery which had been giving the great William Randolph Hearst chronic insomnia, for the murder house had been discovered. Mr. Hurst's men and the New York police came piling over to Woodside and everything achieved and everyone achieved fame. Everyone except Julia and her owner. Now, number one on the charts, 
Wonderwall. <laughs> Thank you, Adam. Um, that was a decent Casey Kasem. I, I love it. I think it's great. In my ears, I hear it. Right. Which I think that's all that matters. Right. You know it to be I know excellent. it to be excellent, Sam. <laughs> I know. And look, I have given rest to the old Southern gentleman. I let him rest for a bit. Yeah. Yeah. He hasn't come out in a while. Yeah. Anyway, ducks. Ducks. So reasons I love that quote. And William Randolph Hearst, like huge, huge New York name. Yes. Who's... Are you going to talk more about him? A little bit, yes. Oh, good, because people need to know real friend of hers. Yes. So Pilsen this... and Hearst, they think they got us. Do they got us? No. no. That's from uh, the New musical Newsies. Newsies. <laughs> That's from the musical Newsies. Uh... <laughs> so this this story, th- th- that little clip, snippet, excerpt, whatever, perks up my ears real hard because one, Woodside, not far from where I grew up. Two, things like Murder House. Murder! Uh, Definitely not. <laughs> Come aboard the murder train. <laughs> Definitely not what you associate when you hear Woodside. Certainly not these days. Woodside Murder House. Um, I mean, it was a side of the, one of the Son of Sam murders. That's true. You still don't associate it with Murder House. Ha- I don't know. I don't associate it with Murder House. I don't. I never even heard Murder House. I mean, right. Um, and then also that duck. That duck is great. Also Hearst. Anyway, so. Um, Woodside is not the only location today's story. The trail begins on the Lower East Side at the 11th Street Pier on June 26, 1897. So just a few days before Julia shows up covered in blood. Um, There were some boys hanging around. It was a Saturday. James McKenna, John McGuire, and Edward Curley were playing when they saw something floating in the river. It was an oilcloth with a red and gold diamond pattern, and it was wrapped very tightly. And they thought it might be something valuable, maybe like a peddler's sack or something like that. So they took it ashore and opened it up. And inside, they found a torso. Oh, no legs, no, no head, no, 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 just no. a torso. Oh, we hate to see it. You Not hate just a to torso. see it. So here are some excerpts from the New York Times reporting on this the next day. A mystery of the river. Three boys playing on East 11th Street dock made a ghastly find. A portion of a man's body, apparently dead but a few hours, was found done up in a neat-looking package and floating in the East River yesterday afternoon. It was the upper part of the trunk, the chest, shoulders, and arms only. The head and all below the fifth rib had been sawed off. The marks of the coarse-toothed saw were plainly visible on the flesh, and in the opinion of the physicians who saw them refuted convincingly the first advanced theory that the remains had been experimented with by medical students. Anatomical students cut flesh and saw only bone. <laughs> the breast had been cut apparently to remove tattoo marks. Oh. The hands were white, soft, and pliable, oh. but not those of a man who had never worked. So, apparently, when the police saw this, their first thought was, "Aha! Some cheeky med students have are, are having a laugh and tossed their cadaver into the river." Um, <laughs> and you know, the coroner said, "No, med students wouldn't have just sawed through." Through the whole body, they would have only done the bone. This that, guy was killed. that feels incorrect. That feels incorrect. <laughs> Those cheeky med students. Um, now, according to the same New York Times report, Captain Hogan of the police said he never really thought it was med students. He just didn't want the public to think that, so that you know, the detectives could continue investigating without much attention. I am suspicious of that claim. I I think they didn't want to deal with it. The coroner um, also said that the heart indicated death was via stab wound. 
There was a stab wound between some ribs penetrating the heart and an additional stab wound at the back of the collarbone piercing through the top of the left lung. So that's day one of this. Day two, the next day, the lower half was found in Harlem Woods. And yes, that's correct. Harlem Woods. Harlem Woods. Um, This is one of my favorite things about reading these articles, for the record. It's this reminder of how recently Manhattan and the other boroughs got so built up, right? So, like, my own great-grandmother, her siblings used to go blackberry picking in the fields that are now Long Island City. So Mm. it's, it's kind of wonderful and remarkable. Anyway, according to the Times, another bundle was found in the woods above Washington Bridge. Quote, up above the Washington Bridge yesterday afternoon, the lower part of the body of the same man was found in the woods bordering Undercliff Avenue on the Ogden Estate. Between Sedgwick and Undercliff Avenues, it is thickly wooded, and the undergrown is of ferns and wild berries. Julius Meyer of 374 West 128th Street, with his sons Edgar, aged 8, and Herbert, aged 13 years, was looking for berries shortly before 1 o'clock. Edgar had got separated, and they were seeking him when they heard him call them to come and see what he found. So this poor kid found the lower half of the man from the fifth rib to the hip joints. Um, and for the record, they are sure this is the lower half of that man because if you met, I think basically they matched up the saw marks and it fit, which is horrifying. Um, so they found some slashes, perhaps made by the knife or stiletto that was used to stab the torso. Based on the angles, they suspected that the attacker had stood over the victim. Uh, There was also some suggestion that the body had been scalded with hot water. um, And perhaps it suggested the profession of a butcher. So basically, between the removal of flesh from the chest, which they suspected was to carve out and remove a tattoo as an identifying mark, there was also the scalding, I suppose, to further remove identifiable skin. On June 30th, Chief Boatswain Matthias Fredrickson, who I want to put on our Where Are They Now podcast, because that's a great, great name. I just want to make a t-shirt of all the most ludicrous names. Yes. Say that <laughs> name again. Chief Boatswain Matthias Fredrickson. Boatswain? Well, I think that's his title. He's the Chief Boatswain. Oh, Chief Boatswain. Right. The Matthias Fredrickson. Of all the Boatswains. Right, exactly. Gosh. Which, what a Boatswain is, or a Boatswain, I, I don't know. Didn't bother to look that up. Something to do with boats. Something to do with boats. So he's working on a receiving ship, and he finds the legs. Oh, Jesus Christ. (laughs) Everyone's just finding parts. (laughs) Oh, no. And these are also tied up in that that oil cloth, and this is found on the Brooklyn shores of the East River. So now they have all but the head. So by July 1st, nine men had identified the torso. It seems that there was some sort of scar on the finger that led them to this conclusion that was highly distinctive. And there was like a doctor who had done some sort of lancing on it, which caused the scar. And so he was like, yeah, I did that. Um, furthermore, per the New York Times, the individual was a certain William Guldensuppe, which um, sounds like German like a Germanic language for <laughs> golden soup. And I choose to believe that's what Golden it, soup. William Golden Soup. Tell me the story of that name. <laughs> well, so, you see, my, my great-great-grandfather developed this golden soup, <laughs> you see, and um, it, through the years, um, through a German descent, they translated uh, into golden soup. Golden soup. And now we know. He was an alchemist. He tried to make gold uh, into, uh, soup into gold, but instead he just made gold into soup. Yeah, just soup with like gold flakes in it. Gold flakes, yeah, very it's ahead of fancy, time. It's fancy, it's fancy ass soup. Fucking fancy it's like soup. It's like the Goldschlager of its time. <laughs> <laughs> so William Goldensuppe 
um, was a masseur at the Murray Hill Turkish Baths in 42nd Street. This is because, this is because, uh, they know this rather, because five fellow employees had known him for years and because he was working at a bath, they had seen him almost daily naked or nearly naked My for his work. Word. So he's, you know, in, in the baths massaging people and he's, I guess, bare chested and doing penis, his thing. Penis out. <laughs> So you're like, I guess he's bare chested. I'm like, no, he's everything bare. He's, he's just very bare. He's bare bared. Um, and this also explains his um, the hands. Remember, they commented on how soft and pliable they are. They're probably soft and pliable because they are massaging people's skin with oils and things like that. So they're well moisturized, I suppose. Thank God. So it seems that Golden Supe had been missing for some days. In addition to the scar on his finger, he was known to have had a tattoo of a woman on his chest, which explains, again, the cut marks it's suspected were made to conceal it. A certain William Hackett identified the remains, and he said he was a close friend of Golden Supe and that his wife, quote, had repeatedly warned Golden Supe that he would surely get in trouble if he did not limit the number of his female friends, unquote. Mm, that happens. That'll happen. So with that identification... They sought out a certain woman with whom Golden Supe had been living as her husband for a year. And husband is in quotes for the record. Um, it was known that they had had an argument at some point very recently um, and that he had left on Thursday afternoon right before his presumed disappearance. Now, in order to continue the story, it's important to introduce two major characters, one of whom we've already referenced, William Randolph Hearst. Uh, who was the owner of the New York Journal, among other New York papers, and Joseph Pulitzer and his New York world. Pulitzer and Hearst, they think they're nothing. Are we nothing? No. <laughs> Pulitzer and Hearst, they think they got us. Do they got us? No. Until we break the will of mighty Bill and Joe. And the world will know. And the journal too. Mr. Hudson Pulitzer, have we got news for you? And the world will see. I don't know the rest. <laughs> I was good. Just let this keep going. <laughs> that we got a ton of rotten fruit and perfect dame. So these are two major New York newspaper giants, right? And they are bitter rivals as papers as well. And this sensational murder case sparked a tabloid war between them. Uh, both were in competition to sell the most papers by creating the most sensational feature articles out of the crime as possible. They would do entire spreads across multiple pages of uh, the investigation, of the finding of the body, of you know these sketches of what everything looked like. And we also need to understand some investigative practices these papers employed. So, for example, the journal hired workers to drag the East River in search of the missing head and published all about this. Oh. The world, in response, offered $500 to the reader who solved the case. And so in order as to not be outdone, the journal offered $1,000 to the reader who solved it. So here is how a 1955 article in The New Yorker described the types of tactics employed at this time. Reporters developed their own leads in solving crimes, outbidding the police for stool pigeons, and at times outbidding the detective branch for details observed by uniformed men. Then they would follow through in person, arresting, that's in quotes, suspects, if the latter didn't appear dangerous, and extorting confessions from them. These they would publish as scoops. Neither the world nor the journal begrudged outlays occasioned by excessive zeal. 
In making arrests, the reporters, who had shiny badges and pistol permits, usually represented themselves as detectives. But when printing the story, their papers invariably said they had made the arrest us citizens. Some of the reporters, as one might expect, became better detectives than most city detectives. And when a big case broke, the police department would put tails on the leading newspaper men, while the newspapers would put tails on the more resourceful detectives. This was a form of recognition the latter enjoyed to the point of sticking to familiar disguises in order not to throw the journalists off their track. Naturally, there were exchanges of information between friends in the two professions by which cops helped reporters to discredit rival reporters and reporters helped cops discredit rival cops. So this is what's going on as these two papers are uh, reporting on this case. Um, and according to a segment on the radio show On the Media, in which Bob Garfield talks to Paul Collins, who wrote a book on this case entitled The Murder of the Century, The Gilded Age Crime That Scandalized the City and Sparked Tabloid Wars. Great name. Great name. Some reporter stole evidence from a crime scene. Another gouged out a piece of floor to have it tested for blood when he suspected it might be the murder scene. Practices that, you know, perhaps are not best, best, best practices. Um... So anyway, that's a little background. That's why Randolph Hearst, William Randolph Hearst is mentioned in that initial quote we used. They are absolutely just plastering their papers with this case. So everyone is feeling pretty, pretty, pretty good about this being the body of Golden Supe. And so they Golden Supe. So now they can focus on the whodunit part. So Golden Supe seems to have lived with a Mrs. Augusta Knack, a midwife, at 439 9th Avenue near 34th Street. That's right. Mrs. Knack was living with Mr. Goldensuppe. They were living in sin. <gasps> Scandalous for the time. <clears throat> sure. Mrs. Knack's own husband was very much alive. They were not divorced. She just did not care for him and seems to have been having an affair with Goldensuppe in which they were living together, yada, yada, yada. In fact, Mr. Herman Knack had even threatened Goldensuppe at one point. They were not on good terms. Go figure. A story soon got around that Augusta Knack was unhappy with Golden Suppe and that Golden Suppe had been threatened by a friend of the Knacks, or rather, a likely former lover of Mrs. Knack, who had previously stayed with Mrs. Knack and had been supplanted by Golden Suppe. Mm. It seems that the two fought, and Golden Suppe had beaten up this friend and taken away his pistol. The friend was initially known in the newspapers by the name of Fred. So two days before his body was found in the East River, and so presumably the day before he went missing, Mrs. Knack had seen Golden Sope, quote, take another woman's card. Then this man and Mrs. Knack quarreled. He made her give him $50 and went away. That's from the Buffalo News on uh, June 30th, 1897, reporting. So a reporter calls on Mrs. Knack to get her story, and Mrs. Knack says she didn't know where Golden Sope was and that she didn't care anyway. When asked why not, she answered, because he fools too much with other women. Mm. Classic. She then went on to share the story of how her friend, or rather, she corrected herself, a woman who was her friend. Oh, God. Which I love. I love that in the paper. Um, like, if you're going to get this, let me, let me state the fact correctly. This, she was a friend. No longer. Um, she says that this ex-friend gave Golden Sope her card, and Golden Sope took it. And she could see this all happening in the mirror while she was in the kitchen. Um, and as a result, she, Mrs. Knack, and Golden Sope argued on Friday morning. And then Knack said something astonishing, per the Buffalo News. Quote, and now she continued, I know he hasn't been killed, for I saw him Sunday. Saw him where? Well, she said, I didn't exactly see him, but I heard from him. We usually take lunch together on his day off at Buck's Restaurant in 6th Avenue, near 42nd Street, and I didn't know that he might come there Sunday. So I went up there and waited there some time. He didn't come by, but a boy brought a note for me, which said to come home at once. I went home, but he wasn't there. 
but he had been there after I went out. And when asked, how did you know that he was there at all? She said, because she could tell there was a different collar on the bureau suggesting he changed his collar. Um, and she no longer had the note. She burned it. But she had gotten a telegram from him. And they said, well, can we see the telegram? She said, no, I curled my hair with it. And that too was burned, which is all very suspicious. And you curled your hair? What? I think you can use like almost like a, like a, cur- like a curler. Like, you know, you roll your hair around it and put well, something. on the telegram. Uh, I mean, I didn't, it's not a great excuse. <laughs> it's the weirdest excuse. It's actually not an excuse, actually, is what you're trying to say. Right. A piece of paper. I mean, I think you can, you can curl hair too with, um. Like rags. People used to use rags to like curl hair. Yeah, I don't know. Another journalist from the New York world went to Mrs. Knack's house under the pretense of getting women's opinion about hand soap. And while in the apartment, he nicked a picture of the person he thought might be Golden Supe. As he left, another man entered the apartment and he was extremely upset with Mrs. Knack, shouting in German that she'd been told not to let anyone in. Meanwhile, so, you know, that that's all very suspicious. He has this picture. He thinks it's Golden Sope. Another person shows up yelling at her not to let anyone in the house. He's like, mm, something's going on. Meanwhile, reporters were hunting down the purveyor of the oil cloth that was used to wrap the body. More on that after the break. We'll be right back after uh, these messages. The New York Mystery Machine is brought to you in part by listeners like you. That's right. Head on over to our Patreon, and for as little as $3 a month, you can help keep the pod growing. By joining, you can access a whole bunch of cool stuff, such as mini-episodes, swag, exclusive playlists, and more. Head to www.patreon.com slash nymysterymachine to find out more and become a patron. That's www.patreon.com slash nymysterymachine and join our ever-growing community today. So you listen to our podcast, which means you must love mysteries. But how would you like to solve your very own mystery? Hunt a Killer is an immersive murder mystery game told over the course of six episode boxes. Each box is filled with different clues and physical items such as autopsy reports, witness statements, and more. You'll use these clues to solve an ongoing murder mystery. Work solo or as a team of sleuths to finally crack the case and reveal the murderer. So do you think you have what it takes to hunt a killer? If so, head to www.huntakiller.com and use the code NYMYSTERYMACHINE for 20% off the first box. That's www.huntakiller.com and the code is NYMYSTERYMACHINE. Sign up now and begin the hunt. Bow, bow, bow. Okay, we're back. We're back. So we have a headless body that has been brutally dismembered and thrown in the East River, most of which has now been recovered, excepting the head. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The deceased is a William Gultensuppe, who seems to have lived with a Mrs. Augusta Knack. They'd recently quarreled. And beyond that, little was available to tie Knack to the crime. So one significant clue that the reporters working this case honed in on was the oil cloth that the body parts had been wrapped in. We didn't dwell too much on this, but the oil cloth was a red and gold floral pattern with diamonds. And the New York Times reported there was a B on a trademark diamond and another inscription that read Buchanan oil cloth. Um, Nota bene, my favorite part is that in at least one of the newspaper articles, 
it was suggested that Sicilians were at fault because they do love their colors. <laughs> and I think that's hilarious. Anyway, the Journal and World reporters pounded pavement and found some purveyors of this apparently distinctive cloth. Um, and one of these purveyors, a Mrs. Paulina Riger of 395 Jackson Avenue in Long Island City, remembered selling the oil cloth to Knack. So the reporter who found her worked for the New York Journal, Hearst's newspaper, which ran with this headline, Murder Solved by the Journal! Exclamation point. Um, so the gentleman friend who threatened Golden Suppe was identified as Martin Thorne, though it turns out Thorne is actually a Germanization of the Polish surname Torzuski. So Thorne had been the lover of Mrs. Augusta Knack, right? This is the Fred, quote unquote, the friend who had shown up when that reporter was leaving the apartment. This is this is that guy. So Thorne had been supplanted by Golden Sope and had not yet given up on Mrs. Knack. The re newspaper reports indicate that Mrs. Knack wasn't a bad looking woman, but they also seemed sort of puzzled by how she could be at the, the, the middle of this crazy love triangle. So all of this unfolds rather quickly, and the police take Mrs. Knack in for questioning. Mrs. Knack maintained that she had no idea of Golden Sope's whereabouts. The captain, Captain O'Brien, tried to frighten her into a confession by showing her Golden Sope's severed legs and asking if they were, in fact, Golden Sope's. And Mrs. Knack apparently coolly shrugged and said, um, how should she know? But that she didn't believe Golden Sope was dead. The police searched her apartment and reportedly left with a revolver, a small handsaw, a butcher knife, and some steel. Um, and in particular, the saw seemed to have some stains um, when viewed under a microscope and they believed it to be blood. There was also some material sticking to the teeth of the saw, which is a hideous thing to think about and we won't dwell on it. Um, and then comes the place of the murder. The place of the murder ends up being identified. Now, by some accounts, people reading the newspaper saw the sketches of Augusta Knack and recognized her. Other accounts, Martin Thorne himself told some folks, like friends, that he had been going to Long Island City to look at a house with the old woman around the time of the murder. Neighbors of a particular house in Woodside um, recalled hearing the scream of murder or help the night that Golden Soapy was presumed to be murdered. Uh, for the record, I don't know how many people getting murdered actually scream murder, but it seems to happen a lot in, in these old newspaper articles. Um... Others remember that a couple who gave the name of Brown um, or Braun, um, who matched the descriptions of Knack and Thorne, rented out a house at 346 Second Street, Woodside, shortly before the presumed day of murder. And then there was the matter of the ducks. From the New York Times on July 4th, there are no sewers in Woodside, but the Second Street house is connected with a nearby ditch. An old man, who refused to give the reporters his name, told O'Donohue that he noticed blood in the dish Saturday and that his ducks who swam and fed in it were made sick. It was their sickness that led him to examine the ditch. Or, in the words of the Vanity Fair article with which we started, I must not forget Julia the duck. You see, Thorne had done most of his dissection in the bathtub. Then he left the tap running for a day or two. Something like 49,000 gallons of water flowed down the pipes and the blood of Willie Goldensope. Thorne believed this was all going into the sewers, but there are not sewers in those parts, and a pool was formed near the cottage, and to this pool came Julia. Mm. So Knack and Thorne are indicted on murder charges on the basis of all the circumstantial evidence, right? The woman who remembers Knack buying the oilcloth, the neighbors of this particular house in Woodside with this pool of blood outside of it saying they recognize Knack and Thorne as being the people who rented it, yada, yada. 
On November 11th, the New York Times reported in their coverage of the trial that Augusta Knack had confessed on the stand. According to her, though she preferred Thorne as a romantic partner, she was afraid of Golden Sope. Thorne rented the house in Woodside and told Knack to lure Golden Sope there. She said that she went home and told Golden Sope that she wanted him to look at the house with her, that she wanted to start a little baby farm. What is a baby farm, you ask? Oh boy. <laughs> I was expecting something really crazy. Turns out it's just a, a place where you take care of illegitimate children. So it sounds like a... F- well, that's not nearly as cool as I No, I know. Um... Apparently, Golden Supe had been trying to get her to start a brothel, but she said at least baby farms were legitimate businesses. So here we are. Regardless, they went together to the house and she used a key to open the door. And Golden Supe went into the house and up the stairs to look around. She then heard a gunshot and Thorne came running down to announce Golden Supe was dead. He then sent Knack away and told her to return later. When she returned at the appointed time, 5 p.m., quote, everything was packed up in parcels. And as for the head, Thorne encased it in plaster before tossing it into the river. Now, there are a couple of problems with this story. You'll recall that per the coroner, Golden Sope was killed via a stabbing, not a gunshot. Flip side, he could have been shot in the head and stabbed, a point that one of the lawyers made in court. On November 30th, the New York Times shared that Thorne got to tell his side of the story. He claimed that Augusta Knack had murdered Golden Supe unbeknownst to him, that he arrived in Woodside only to discover the situation as such, and that he agreed to, quote, help dismember and dispose of the body because he loved her and was anxious to help her out of trouble, unquote. Thorne's lawyer pointed out that this must be true for Augusta Knack said she let herself in with the key to the house. How then could Thorne have possibly gotten there first to hide as she claims in her story? In the end, Knack was able to plead to manslaughter for a reduced sentence due to her confession, which led to Thorne's conviction. Had she not cooperated in this way, Thorne's lawyers could have easily said that the body belonged to anyone in the world. It wasn't even Golden Sope because there is no head and a lot of the flesh is missing. Um, In the end, Knack was sentenced to 15 years in prison. Thorne convicted and sentenced to death at Sing Sing and was electrocuted on August 1st, 1898. Gotta sing, sing. I knew it. As I put that in, I was like, gotta gotta sing, sing. I almost forgot. I haven't had a sing, sing in a while. (laughs) Augusta was released in 1907 after spending nine years and five months in Auburn prison. And odd little fun fact, the records of this case and the transcripts and all that were burned by the Queens County prosecutors in 1949 to make more room in the storage. Classic queens. You can't even <laughs> hold on to your fucking cases. You got to burn shit away because there's burn it so much crime in that fucking bar. That is not. That you need to like clear out the space. Not in Brooklyn. Not in my town. <laughs> you tell me any crimes that happen in Brooklyn. I, I don't know. Oh, we've never heard of those. <laughs> never heard none. That's the story of Mr. Golden Soup and how Mr. Golden Soup lost his head. Oh my! Well, there you have it. There you have it. Is that the name of the episode? How Mr. Golden Shoopy lost his head? Oh, that's good. It's good. I was gonna go with um. What did I put on the thing? I put it down. I put it as. Uh, oh, you put it as a knack for something. A real knack for murder. A real knack for murder because it's Augusta knack. Get it? But knack. no. But no one would. Do <laughs> you know what I mean? Everyone will get it. How? Because you have a knack for something, and her name is Augusta Knack. But when will they get that joke? When they read the title of the episode. But when will they get the joke? When they listen to the episode. There it is. And what do people do before they listen to an episode? They read the title. They I'm read not, the title. I'm not seeing the problem. So the joke isn't going to come through until later in time. <laughs> the joke's not- It's a long- It's a, you it's know- It's a long gag. Yeah. 
It's like a real knack for murder. You guys get it? No, I didn't listen to the episode. So a knack for murder? I don't. I don't know. They you, would, you see what I mean? Yeah, here? but you let me do this with the witches. Did I? Yes. Why? Well, you? Yeah, I snuck that under the radar. It was the wicked witch of the West, Chester, and but that's because that's because we knew where it was. That's because the title told us where it was taking place, which is the joke was there already. You know what I'm saying? West Chester, that's the joke. I well, see. Well, if you right. put a K in parentheses before knack, then they'll know that there's a knack and a knack. That see, that's a more if I put, well, that's what I would do. But that's not what you did here. Well, you know. I like how Mr. Goldenship lost its head. That is pretty good too. <laughs> and you know, we still don't have the head. I don't believe the head was ever found. That's unfortunate. Somewhere out there is a plaster cube with a head inside. You guys, if you or your loved one owns the plaster cube with a head inside, write into the show. We want to know all about it. Yeah. Also, you probably should turn that into somebody. Yeah, that, yeah. That I don't be. think you're allowed to have plaster heads. Well, that's that. If you have thoughts on this and any other things, you guys have been doing really great reaching out to yeah. us. We, we had someone reach out to us about a t-shirt idea today, which was- <laughs> Love it. Love it. Um, gosh, what was the idea? Let me, I don't want to, I don't want to misspeak. Um, one of our listeners, Penny, wrote, new t-shirt idea, Christina's head hanging down, standing with a ghost behind her saying, I don't like this, which is really great. That is, you know me well, Penny. Find someone to, 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 to mock up Christina and we'll do it, because I can't draw. <laughs> <laughs> I, ex- I export most of our graphics. I was going to say, you're, you're giving up the illusion that you've been drawing our... No, I'm really good at putting images together... Putting images together. I can't like take a pen and draw like the images. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I can't do that. I hide someone. Like our logo is done by somebody. Right. So like the Ted, the Ted, our pictures, that's all done by somebody. Um, the most graphic-y I've ever done was Veiled Murderesses. Yes. I put that together through some open domain um, stuff. Mm-hmm. And I like literally constructed it through like three different things. And then our newest one. Oh, and the it, it, it's, it's worth noting. It's the same thing with that. Right. I put that graphic together with with stuff. But I can't draw, draw. Mm. Anyway, that's a long <laughs> shit about me talking about drawing. Anywho, you guys, <laughs> um, we'd love to hear from you. That's how we got into this, right? Um, right. We got, we'd love to hear it. from you. Uh, reach out to us um, at NY Mystery Machine on our Instagram and our TikTok, Facebook, at NY Mysteries on X. Um, you can email us, nymysterymachine at gmail.com. And... Um, Yeah, that's, that's uh, the show. That's the show, folks. <laughs> I, <don't know. laughs> I had something else to say. This kind of like flew out of my head. Was it about? Hopefully, I'll remember. Maybe I'll remember for next week okay, because you know we're gonna record that right after this. Right. <laughs> Shh! Don't tell them. Don't just for the illusion. They think it's happening live, <laughs> live and living color. Um, be sure to buy some t-shirts. Be sure to join our Patreon. All the links to that are in the show description. We're back next week with an all-new episode. I've been Adam Ace. I've been Marinelli. And thank you ever so much for taking a ride on the New York Mystery Machine. Tammany Hall, but for ghosts. Ooh.